0: Afternoon, family. So, I take it you've all heard of the uh, famous George Wishart. Yeah? Everyone knows that name? Yeah? No? Little blank faces. Oh, okay. Well, George Wishart, he was a bishop in Edinburgh in the 17th century. Remember? No. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. So... He's famous for one reason. The Bible literally saved his life. Literally saved his life. You see, he was condemned to death before he was hand, back as was custom in that day, but allowed to sing a psalm. And he chose Psalm hundred and nineteen. So as they were sitting in Psalm hundred and nineteen, lo and behold, his pardon arrived, and his life was spared during the Psalm. Can you imagine if he accidentally chose Psalm hundred and seventeen? all two verses of it. No, 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 the long one, the long one. (laughs) So Psalm 119, it's a fantastic psalm and moral story, choose that one. (laughs) So um, yeah, as Kevin said, uh, basically when Kevin was handing out the psalms, what we were going to cover this month, didn't really specify what part of Psalm 119. All he said is, Rob, you've already started it so you might as well finish it. So I've already done verse uh, 1 to 8, which means i only got 168 verses to go. <laughs> I figured if I spend a minute per verse, that's only, what, about 168 minutes, 2.8 hours. So I hope you're ready. Um, I was hoping that we'd have a keyboard here, where, you know, we could have a mid-session <laughs> interval where someone played the organ and popcorn and candy floss, teas and coffees. No keyboard. Anyone bring popcorn and candy floss? No. Okay, we won't do all 168 verses then. Seems we've got no mid-session interval. Plan B then. Plan B was a great idea. I was just going to pick out a cool few verses, focus on those because there are some amazing verses in Psalm 119. But then I read a quote from Charles Spurgeon, which says, Many superficial readers have imagined that it harps on one string and abounds in poious repetitions and redundancies. But this arises from a shallowness of the reader's own mind. So, okay, I won't be doing that then. <laughs> I was like, sorry, Lord. It's so, like, okay. So, and then he goes on, and Charles Spurgeon actually says, Those who have studied this divine hymn and carefully noted each line of it are amazed at the variety of profoundity of the thought. Using only a few words, the writer has produced uh, presumptions and combinations of meaning which display his holy familiarity with this subject and the sanctified ingenuity of his mind. He never repeats himself. So with that in mind, I figured, well, I'm going to just have to carry on from where I left off. So last time, which is many months ago, I started uh, on verse 1 to 8. So today we will be only doing, don't worry, verses 1 to 9, uh, 16, sorry, verses 1 to 16, uh, 9 to 16, which is uh, titled Beth. So the Psalm 119 is uh, sectioned off into groups of eight. So we've done the first eight, and we're going to do the next eight, which is Beth, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And another main reason why I decided to do this was because Psalm 119 is actually a journey. You see, it starts off in verse 1 to 8, where it outlines our destination. And what's that destination? It's an undefilled, blessed life in Christ. It's Christ in you, living your life for Christ. And that is our destination. And the rest of Psalm 119 then kind of explores an answer to one question. And the question which we'll be looking at in depth in verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? That's the question, and then the rest of Psalm 119 all focuses on answering that one question. So, we'll, we'll be taking the many twists and turns and navigating all the obstacles and the angry speed and Audi drivers on our journey. <laughs> yep, I know he's looking at the back there, <laughs> But before we go on with our journey and exploring the answer to this one question, let's pray. So, Lord, we just pray that as we come before your holy word, we just pray that our hearts and minds will be open to hear what you have to say to us through your word. I pray that you'll just help me to just be that vessel that you've called me to be, to just faithfully teach your word, Lord. So, Lord, just pray for uh, your Holy Spirit to just work in through me and through all our hearts, Lord, as we just open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said... This psalm starts off with a Christian. And you can see that by the very first word, which says how. How, the big question. And the big question is linked very closely to verse 1. You look, verse 1 says, blessed are the undefiled in the way. And the question is, how can a young man cleanse his way? So, the how question. But notice as well who this question is aimed at. What does it say? A young man? So does that mean that all you ladies out there and all slightly not so young men need to switch off and not listen? Not at all. If anything, you need to listen because all what we can learn from this psalm applies to every single one of us. And then in fact, the main reason this probably says to young man is partly down to who potentially the writer was. See, some scholars believe that it was King David himself who wrote this psalm. In fact, he actually wrote this as a form of instruction to his sons after him, giving them the experiences of his life and what a life he lived and the lessons what he learned he's passing on to his sons. And those are lessons for all of us to learn. But yet, in the same breath, I don't think it's coincidence that he says young men. Because young men who are married or going to be married, If your life is cleansed by the word of God, then don't you think that will rub off on your family, on your wives and your children? If you're living a life that's pleasing and honouring to God, then that is going to impact and affect your family. So how important is that even us young men who have got young families need to cleanse our way? After all, as Paul said in Ephesians uh, 5, he said to husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And verse 26, the keep up, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Just as Christ has washed his bride, the church, with the washing of the water of the word, young men need to wash and cleanse his bride and his family by the washing of the word. How can a husband cleanse his wife if he is not, first of all, cleansed. But on the story of cleansing, how can we cleanse our way? The implication is that our way isn't clean, and that our way is actually, fact, dirty. Our way is actually, in actual fact, being dragged through the mud of life. And we need to, first of all, recognize that our way needs to be cleansed. How can we cleanse our way if we don't, first of all, recognize that our way needs to be cleansed? You know what many people will tell you that we are born good and coherently good. And that is our environment, our influences or circumstances that make us bad. But yet for those of us who have kids, you know it's complete nonsense. I just look at my two little boys and see that innocent little look and that great big smile upon their face. And I just never been naughty. <laughs> and believe me, I've not taught them. It's not being there Influences or environment, maybe the Minions movie has not helped them. (laughs) But yet, myself and Ruth, we haven't taught them how to be naughty. They just know how to lie. They know how to be selfish. They know how to seek their own. We are born currently sinful. Our ways before us are currently dirty and muddy. Our way before us needs to be cleansed. Being naughty... Comes all too naturally. But yet, notice what needs to be cleansed. What does it say? How can a young man cleanse his soul? No. Oh, how can a young man cleanse his heart? No. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way? Because you see, in Matthew 19, verse 23 26, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then his disciples heard it they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So this verse cannot be talking about salvation, because it's asking a question, how can a young man cleanse his way? As So therefore... If salvation is possible because i'm pretty sure jesus here wasn't bragging that god can fit a camel through the other needle when he said all things are possible for god even though i'm sure he could get his needle and camel and he can feed it through to his heart's content but yeah that's not what he's bragging about he's bragging about salvation he's bragging that salvation is impossible for you it's impossible for man you can't do it only god can achieve salvation We can try all we want. We can live our best lives. We can give all our money to charities. We can help old ladies cross the road. And we can do all the good things we can do underneath the sun. But yet, it will never give us salvation. Salvation is impossible for us. Without Jesus Christ and him crucified and him raised up the third day, him ascended into heaven and uh, mediating for us, we are dead in our sins. There is no hope for us. There is no salvation. As a writer in John, uh, John 14, verse 6, he says, uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, 10, 12, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, we've been saying about that, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, verse 10. For, we have, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is not of works. Salvation is impossible for us. The question here isn't regarding salvation. It's got nothing to do with salvation. It's all to do with our life that is before us. The question is not about salvation. Our salvation is complete and bound up in God's faithfulness. And he is faithful. So, if this is all about how can we cleanse our way, it begs a question about what do we choose next? Do we choose to cleanse our way? Or do we choose to drag our life through the mud? That is the question before us. And I know I've been there. I've dragged my life through the mud. I've dragged it through the manure. I've lived a life of sin. I've even quenched the spirit at times, ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even participate at the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Praise be the Lord, he saved me from that. We can all choose to drag our lives through the mud, or we can choose to live our lives for God. That is the question which poses us here. What are we going to choose, to drag our lives through the mud, or to cleanse our ways? And if you choose to live your life in the mud, believe me, is nothing but emptiness and vanity and longing and wanting as you realise in the emptiness and the worthlessness of living your life for yourself. Whereas, if you choose to live your life for God and honouring him and pleasing him, what sort of blessed life can we live? So, begs the question, how? How do we cleanse our life before us? How do we cleanse the way that is before us? And thankfully, the Bible, the psalmist here, gives us the answer what we need as to how. In verse 9 there, it says, by taking heed according to your word. Taking heed. James said in James 1 verse 22, but not be doers of the word, but be uh, sorry, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We need to take heed, we need to listen and do what the word of God tells us to do. Begs question, well, what does the word of God tell us to do? Like if it tells us to do what the word of God says, surely we've got to know what it actually says and what instructions it gives us. Well, here's a few Joshua 1, verse 7 to 9. Only be strong and very courageous, But you observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, uh, instruction there, be strong, good courage. Meditate, fill your mind with words of God. Here's another instruction, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. Know your ways and acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Instruction there, trust in God. Lean on God. How about Matthew 6, verse 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Instruction there seek God. Ephesians 6 11, Put on the whole arm of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Instruction there put on the arm of God. About Philippians 4 8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Fill your mind with good heavenly things. And finally, a great one here in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised and ashamed, and is sat down on the right hand of God, or the throne of God. So the instruction there is, lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily snares us, and look to Jesus. You see, the word of God teaches us what we ought to do. It's not all about, don't do this, don't do that. Don't stay away from that. Never go there. No. It's do this. Do that. Do this. It's a verb. It's a doing. It tells us what we need to do. It's basically saying it's not enough just not to do what's not you know bad, but you need to do what's right. You need to do what's good. And that is what we need to be doers of, is doing what the good things, what the Word of God tells us to do. It's about... Being strong in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, seeking the Lord, putting God's armor on, filling our minds with God's truths and running our spiritual race and seeking Jesus. We simply need to listen to God's word and do God's word and taking heed to what he is saying. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. And also, verse 10, With my whole heart, I have sought you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By seeking God. Verse 9 and verse 1 were similar. Verse 2 and verse 10 are very similar as well. If you look, compare the two. Verse 2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Verse 10, With my whole heart, I have sought you. So verse Two declares that happier and blessed are those who are seeking God with all their heart. And verse ten is a declaration that I will seek God. But what type of heart does God enjoy? What type of heart is God looking for? What type of heart does He desire? Does He desire a perfect heart, a sinless heart, and a pure heart? Yes, indeed, He does. But you ask, what He always delights in? It's a seeking heart. The heart that seeks after him. But yet, one thing we've got to remember Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? Heart is full of sin. Heart is also full of wickedness. How can God delight in any of our hearts if our hearts are like that? With a heart that is seeking him. heart may be wicked, it may be sinful, but if your heart is seeking the Lord wholeheartedly, not a small part, not a quarter part, not a three quarters part, not a ninety nine part, but a hundred part. If your heart is truly seeking after God, that's what he delights in, the heart seeking truly after him. A heart that is looking for the rich blessings which can be enjoyed in both this life and the next to come. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will answer. Search for Jesus and you shall surely find him. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your t- commandments. There's a great old hymn which I remember uh, Come, thou fount. It's a great one. And I specifically remember the third verse which says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, I take and seal it with the spirit from above. Rescued thus from sin and danger, purchased by a saviour's blood. May I walk on earth a stranger as a son and heir of God. How prone are we to wonder? The God we love, the very God we love. We are so easily prone to wonder fall into the sin, and live for our flesh. Mm -hmm. I know I've been there. But, thankfully, the conviction of the Spirit gets hold of your life. And when you wander, it brings you back. And brings you back into that repentance, where you then submit yourself unto the Lord and follow Him. Our hearts may be wicked and deceitful; It may tell us that wandering from God's commandments isn't all that bad. They may tell us that the pleasure of sin is worth it, but yet that's only your heart lying to you. But next question is why do we wonder in the first place? Why do we wonder in the first place? If we love our God so much, why do we wonder? How do we stop from wondering? We wonder because of the weakness of our flesh. Matthew 26 says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The weakness of our flesh causes us to wonder. How do we stop from wondering? Same verse, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because in ourselves we have no strength, but through Jesus Christ and his complete work, his victory that he's already won upon the cross, of forgiveness of our sins and crushing Satan and sin by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, the, uh, from through the power of prayer, we may not wonder. How can a young man cleanse his way? Because your word I have hidden in my heart, but I may not sin against you. I have hidden your word and my heart dealing once again with our hearts remember that once again our heart was born in sin psalm 51 verse 5 i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me first corinthians 15 also is the resurrection of the dead the body is sown in, in corruption and is raised in, in corruption it's sown in dishonor and raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, It is sown in natural body, It is raised a spiritual body, whereas a natural body and spiritual body. basically, our sins, our hearts are born in sin. Our body is sown in corruption and dishonor and weakness. but when we repent from our sins and turn to Jesus and seek God as our Lord and Savior, our hearts are no longer hard. Our hearts are no longer shallow or crowded, but they are soft and tender. They are ready to be planted with and planted with the seed. What's the seed? The word of God. At the end of the day, what we fill our hearts with and fill our minds with will determine how we grow, how we grow spiritually. So if we fill with our hearts with God's word. We will be fruitful. As Matthew 12, in verse 34-35 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, as a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. If you have God's word hid in your hearts, your mouth will reflect that. Your life will reflect that. Everything you do will reflect that Jesus Christ is in your heart. Pastor Barry Ford of Cary Chapel Portsmouth, he wrote a book on the book of Psalm 119, uh, called, titled Walking the Way. He said this, if we have the roadmap of God's word preloaded into our hearts, that becomes our first choice. If, however, we neglect God's word, we will default to the sinful nature, because although God creates in us a clean heart, as mentioned in Psalm 51 verse 10, the mind still needs to be transformed, as in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And if we do not put our hearts through our minds, God's word, we will revert to the old nature we are so familiar with. In other words, in our hearts with God's word, it's not a one-time event. Because you'll soon easily revert back to that old nature. You'll soon revert back to what you used to know. Filling our hearts with God's word is a continual process. What does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man who meditates in the word day and night. We need to continually be in God's word. Hiding it in our hearts. Making it our treasure in our hearts. And in doing so, as I said already, we'll become fruitful. Matthew 13, verse 23, a powerful sower. You know, wow, and what's the good seed like? But he who receives seed on the ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. I've always been baffled about the numbers there at the end. What are the numbers about? But when I realized it's the quantity of the fruit in your life from the word of God being sowed in your heart, if you've got the word of God so in your heart, you're going to produce massive amount of fruit in your life. You'll be fruitful if our heart is full of God's word. The question is, if our hearts are full of God's word, are we more likely to sin or less likely to sin? I'm not saying we're never going to sin again because we will until we get to heaven. But yet, if we are feeding the spirit and not the flesh, we could be less likely to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, as mentioned in Galatians 5.16. So how can a young man cleanse his way? By hiding the word of God in his heart, that he might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Yahweh, which is used here. It's interesting, because normally the greater blesses the lesser. But here, the psalmist is just blessing God, meaning he's actually just praising and worshiping God. And as we dive deeper into God's holy word, won't our hearts be full of praise and worship of God? Won't we be praising and worshiping for His perfect revelation of Himself through His Word? Won't we be praising and worshiping for His perfect instruction what He's given us through His Word? Won't we be praising and worshiping Him because of His? Perfect hope, what we have been given through his word. How much we have got to praise and worship God for what's re- revealed to us through his holy word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. How can a young man cleanse his way by being taught his statutes? But notice he was asking to be taught by. God. He's talking directly to God. You see, receiving solid Bible teaching is vital and is important for your spiritual growth. Without it, you your spirit will struggle. You, we need our spiritual food. But yet, the psalmist here says, Lord, teach me. So, yes. We need to be taught on a weekly basis from here, the pulpit, God's spiritual truths. But yet at the same time, why don't we ask God to teach us his truths? You may be wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I, you know, ask God to teach me? How, where do I even begin? Well, first of all, pray. You pray to God. When you open up his word, you ask him to speak to your heart, reveal to him the truths that are written in it. And next thing you do is read, and read, and read, and read, and read, and read. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying start Genesis and go through to Revelation. Do do that, but not in this circumstance. What I'm saying is pick a verse, pick a section, pick a chapter, and read that over and over and over and over again. Essentially, that's what we all do. When we come to study a passage for teaching you, we'll take the uh, section of Scripture And we'll read it, and read it, and read it, and read it. As many times as we can, can, we'll reread that portion of Scripture. Why? Because you're filling your mind with the Word of God. In your mind becomes full of it. You'll then start asking questions like, who, what, where, when, why? And they'll just naturally come flooding into your mind as you read, and read, and read your Scripture. So what I'm saying is that anyone can do this anyone can come to god's word and study it and meditate it and be taught by god it's not something just reserved for pastors or those who teach god's words it's something that's available to all of us we just need to pray and constantly just read and read and read god's word and let it speak to us and on that note i just want to say that in james 3 verse 1 there is a warning. Just say, Lot, not many of you become teachers, and then we shall receive a stricter judgment. Of those who do teach God's word, we will receive a stricter judgment. It petrifies me thinking that I'm going to be judged for what I say, how I say it, and we will receive that. But yet, if you're doing a self study, that judgment doesn't count because it's your own study, it's your own personal devotion. So teach me your statutes, Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. Statutes, Spurgeon said, that is the moral law of God, which is engraven on fleshy tablets of the heart, the innermost and spiritual apprehension of his will. The word literally means engraved, inscribed. So God's statutes were originally inscribed and engraved on stone and papyrus. Now engraved on our hearts. But yet there's another thing we've got to think of. Does it say, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me statutes? How can God teach you your statutes if you're not teachable? You need to be teachable. You see, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you may have or how much you've explored God's word, you always need to be teachable. So having that realization that every time I come to God's word, there's always something new. There's always more I can learn. You can never or should never get to a point in life when you think, yep, I know it all. I know God's word front back to back, inside out. I know it all. There's nothing more I can learn. There's always more to be learnt when you come into to God's word. We always need to be teachable. How can a young man cleanse his way? With my lips I have declared all with judgments of your mouth, God has spoken His judgments. We meditate on those judgments. We fill our hearts with those uh, judgments. We live out those judgments. We be doers of those judgments. And what becomes inevitable next? We become talkers of His judgments. We talk about His God's word. We share His God's uh, His word. We speak his love and mercy and grace to those around us. Pastor Steve once said that God's word is a book about God's plan of redemption for the world. How we need to share that plan of redemption for the world. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. There's another thing with declaring God's words out loud. If you just want to try and remember something, and get something stuck in your head? What's the best way to do it before text message? You talk, you repeat it, you say it out loud. And if you say it loud, it comes ingrained in your mind as you repeat it over and over again. Whereas, worth in talking God's word out loud, even in your private meditation, how can a young man cleanse his way? I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. Question, is God's word a burden or do you delight in it? Is God's word heavy for you or do you rejoice in it? What is God's word to you? Do you find yourself delighting and rejoicing at the hearing of it? you find yourself delighted and rejoicing at studying of it what is God's word to you what would you give up just to be able to hear one verse from God's word what would you give up for it what is God's word worth to you is God's word worth uh, to you just as much as your wage package is God's word worth to you just as much as your car your house what price would you pay for God's word don't get me wrong we need wages yeah. We need houses, we need cars. What's greater value in your life? Your wage, your house, or God's word? What is the greater value or worth? And you know, if David truly wrote this psalm, him being king, being very, very, very rich, richer than we can imagine, but yet he said, I have rejoiced in your testimonies as much as in all riches. He wrote that, how much would God's word meant to King David? What value did King David place upon God's word? Do you value God's word more than anything this world has to offer? It's essentially the question. And in Psalm 19, verse 7 to 10, which talks about the greatness of God's word. And verse 10 ends with, more to be desired than gold, yea, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. What's more valuable in this world than gold? Not much. What's more sweeter than honey in this world? Not much. What's better than God's, world, uh, sorry, God's word in this world? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What's God's word worth to you? How can a young man cleanse his way? I have rejoiced in testimonies and as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Interestingly, in verse 10, it says, With my whole heart, I have sought you. In verse 11, it says, I have hidden in my heart. Verse 13, With my lips, I have declared. In verse 14, I have rejoiced in your testimonies. So far, the psalmist has been telling him what he has done, but now he's focused on what he will do, implying he's about to say something that's very important and that we need to listen and do the same. So what's he saying he's going to do? I will meditate on your Precepts on your instructions, on your commands and statutes and judgments and law. I will. And when I consider the Christian version of meditation, it's a bit strange, but my mind instantly thinks of a cow. Yep, it does. I Googled this. Here's my old friend, Google. A cow eaten. So cows are able to voluntarily unswallow. It's a nice picture, I know. But cows are voluntarily able to unswallow their food. This process of swallowing and unswallowing and re-chewing and re is called rumination, I think. Or more commonly, chewing the cud. And this process enables a cow to chew the grass more completely, which improves digestion. So now you're wondering... Hopefully some of you have sussed it out, but some of you may still to be wondering, why is he talking about a cow for? <laughs> because a Christian is to chew the cud of God's holy word. As a cow keeps on chewing over and over again the same piece of grass, as a cow keeps on bringing it up again and taking it back down, chewing it up and chewing and taking it back down again, and actually enable it to completely eat the grass, completely eat the grass, we need to do the same with God's word. We need to read it, chew on it, meditate it, bring it back to our memory, chew on it, think about it, ponder it, take it back down, and keep on doing that process until we completely digest God's Amen. Word. Like so we need to meditate, chew la cud on God's Holy Word, and digest it completely. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Over centuries, man has contemplated many, many things. Contemplate how many stars are in the sky. What's the meaning of life? Is it 42? What are the depths of women's handbags? And what's in them? <laughs> <laughs> there are many questions what man has complica- complimented, contemplated over the years. But only if man would contemplate on God's word as he does on earthly matters. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how blessed can you be by contemplating what's in a woman's handbag? (laughs) Not very. Mm -hmm. How how blessed are you going to be in contemplating on God's word? Very, (laughs) Very. The contemplation of God's word can be edifying, strengthening, encouraging, convicting, teaching, directing, and cleansing. Meditate. Ponder, look into God's wonderful word and be blessed as you are built up. For what happens then in verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will delight myself in you, Lord. I will jump, I will leap, I will shout for joy at the truths that are found in your holy word, O Lord. And I will sing praises to you, Elaine, for your word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path. You know what? I think David Guzik summed up this challenge here of Psalm 119. He says this, we can almost hear a challenge from the psalmist. You live your compromising, impure life but think that thinks it knows pleasure and satisfaction, and I will cleanse my way, and I will give the fullness of my life to God and his word, And we'll see who is more blessed. We will see who is more happy. We will see who lives a more fulfilled life. And that is the challenge of Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? Cleansing your way means that life's not going to be tough, dull, boring, maybe slightly tough, but yet it will be blessed, happy, fulfilled as you cleanse your way. So meditate, ponder, look into God's wonderful word. And most importantly, live it out. Be doers of the word. That's what it says at the beginning. Take heed according to God's word. And then you do that, you'll never forget his word. You'll never leave your memory. So how can we cleanse our way? By being doers of God's word. By seeking God with all our heart by praying that we don't wander from his heart, by filling our hearts with God's word, by being teachable with God's word, by proclaiming God's word, by considering the value of God's word and chewing the cud of God's word, by contemplating God's word and by delighting ourselves in God's word. That is how we cleanse our way. Now take heed to its instructions. Amen amen let's pray father we just thank you and praise you that you have given us your word that we can come and study and meditate upon it lord but lord as that question says how can we cleanse our way and lord i pray that may we choose to cleanse our way to make our way pure and holy before you to honor you and glorify you lord because lord what a blessed and fulfilled life that we can enjoy in living in obedience to your word lord Because, Lord, we know the alternative is just a vain and empty life, Lord. So, Lord, may we choose today to cleanse our way before you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.